please take my hand. Now open your mind to me. Please open your mind. Open your mind. Open your mind. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. We've been having a very robust conversation about things that are uh, more important, in my opinion, in the world than a lot of the stuff that the media has us focusing on, a lot of divisive issues. And I want to get into how even now I feel like there's uh, an emerging group of mainstream libertarians that... I kind of call them corporate libertarians that you see on the mainstream media that pivot to this, the the way issues are framed in one-off policy prescriptions or de- divisive issues instead of really understanding the fundamentals about how how not having the political principles that we were founded on, not retaining those, destabilizes the system in many, many ways and even even uh, makes us weak and vulnerable to outside forces. I think uh, the probably biggest, single, greatest threat to our sovereignty, to our stability, is this crazy financial cycle that we are constantly in from big debt to fed money printing. Um, and you can see how like a place like Greece that doesn't have the power to print its own money and export its own currency abroad for other people to use for other uses is, is really on the verge of collapse because this is an unsustainable process. And, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about how a libertarian views kind of holistically what's going on and how to make it right. I'm going to take some calls, though, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Bill in Marietta, you are on with Monica. Hey, Monica, thank you for uh, your comments, and I appreciate them. Um, I think there are three steps that we as the people ought to really insist that the government take, and one of them is that we need to eliminate this one-term retirement program for people in Congress who get full retirement after one term. It's outrageous. When our military spends 20 years, and then now they want to cut their retirement after 20 years of service. Even just looking at the ads for the Wounded Warrior Project, I'm horrified. How can all the combined governments of the United States spend almost $7 trillion a year, and there has to be charities for the one group that is performing the only theoretically legitimate function of at least the federal government. I don't get it, but okay, I got you. Number one. Good. Absolutely. And, and then the second one is we ought to put a freeze on both government hiring and government salary increases. Uh, that, you know, if, if that would happen, we would lower our national debt almost immediately. I think somebody said that it would take about three years to eliminate the national debt. Uh, just 
it boggles my mind as to why people will let their congressmen continue to vote for these increases and these hiring increases when we already have as much of our population working for the federal government as we do. Uh, thank you for your comments, and I do appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Bill. Um, I I want to address what you're, what you're saying in um, you were carrying on a point that was brought up earlier. I think one of the callers said that Rand Paul, and I, I believe I recall this, said freeze federal salaries. It'll make a huge difference, all that kind of stuff. This speaks to my concern about how libertarians, when it can be a little damaging for two reasons, to have policy prescriptions inserted into such a dysfunctional system. On the one hand, there are there are freedoms. A good example is immigration. In a free society like I advocate for, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. Like I think the the actual government, that coercive monopoly seat of power, all is always corrupted in the end, and it ends up working against our interests, starts wars on purpose, stuff like that. So I'm an anarcho-capitalist, and in my system, all property is owned privately. There is no immigration problem. And then national borders arise, I think, historically was a way for the king to define the area he was permitted to tax. So it's a very non-libertarian system, and I believe in the right to travel and the right to work. But when you do have a sovereign entity and you advocate just willy-nilly a freedom to travel, freedom to work, but the government has tied that stuff to the right to vote or to be a citizen, then all of a sudden there are all sorts of implications to what's a very simple principle of freedom. Why should people be allowed uh, who have entered the country illegally to ever be able to vote? I know somebody who went to jail as a felon, and he's never allowed to vote. And it's, it's not killing him. He can still work. He's just not allowed to vote. Or um, that in order to to work, most of the time you have to be on a path to citizenship. When libertarians come in and offer policy prescriptions to try to make a situation like that better, it's it plays into what I think is a deceitful image that ideology is at the core of all this. When I think it's more true that the government, like the 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 democratic government not not democrats but like a democratic system like we have will create laws like this in order to promote their own power their own money at the top i posted a chart recently on my facebook page that showed the impact of the 1965 immigration reform act which was pushed by teddy kennedy just at the time when the kennedys were really cracking code on how demographics can can um, win elections and how to manipulate demographics. So, and I also know a guy, I've mentioned this once before, a police officer in Brockton, Massachusetts, who said there's a big community of people from Cape Verde Islands there, and they told him there are billboards and stuff and hotlines how to emigrate to Brockton, Massachusetts from the Cape Verde Islands. So there is a deliberate... Uh, 
plan policies not to get it right on immigration, but to use immigration for political purposes. So when we talk about policy prescriptions and ignore the fact that this stuff is being forced down from the top, I almost even think that it could do more harm than good, even if it works. I look at an example, a financial example, Nixon ended the gold standard in 1972, and there was immediately hyperinflation. Everybody knows about the 70s. It was a disaster. Then Reagan came in and and thought about, he actually suggested, well, could we end the Fed? Could we return to a gold standard? I mean, these were things he threw out there. But Paul Volcker, the head of the Fed, who was a Democrat appointee, said, uh, actually, use some, some constraint and reeled back in the inflationary policies of the Carter era and saved this fiat money system, this petrodollar system, this system that is still inherently uh, unsustainable in the very long run, but it gave it a crutch. It gave, it employed some principles that could keep it limping along for longer and perhaps creating more harm than good. So when I look at policy prescriptions that might keep things going a little bit longer without addressing the fact that the banks have a stranglehold on government policy, they won't even let you. I mean, I, 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 it is my belief that through lobbying and other influence peddling, they, won't, they don't want them to cut the defense budget because... Uh, then you'd have a balanced budget. So when the Cold War ended kind of abruptly as a result of Reagan's policies that were kind of unpopular with the power elite, we immediately had a balanced budget. And and after that, then we had the war on terror, spending as much money on defense as we spend as we spent in real dollars during World War II for a very different enemy that we don't seem to be able to defeat even with all of that. So I feel like there is a corruption at the top that determines our policy. And as we try to tweak it from the bottom with our good faith efforts to apply certain principles, we end up uh, letting that thing limp along, being distracted by the issues that aren't really going to solve the problem unless we kind of cut out root and branch the the, the corrupting influences that, that I think are continuing to have a stranglehold on our uh, on our country. I'm going to take a quick break, then go to Steve, who has an idea for a constitutional amendment. I'd like to hear it. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. It's 89 degrees outside the studio right now, a 7 on the Mellish meter. Weekend weather on WSB is brought to you by Shumi, the official air conditioning of summer. And I want to go to Steve to hear what his idea is for a constitutional amendment. Hi, Steve. You're on with Monica. Hi. Yeah. Uh, you know, this wouldn't solve a big problem, uh, but it would really stick a thumb in the eye of, uh, you know, people in the highest positions of power in our uh, federal government, and I think it can be done because we don't need Congress to pass a constitutional amendment. We can do this through, uh, via the state legislatures collectively. What I would like to see is a constitutional amendment limiting uh, the pay for uh, members of Congress, the Senate, the President, and the Supreme Court justices 
to five times the base rate pay of an E1 in our military. And at current uh, base rate pay for an E1, that would put them all at roughly $94,000 per year. But don't you think they would do those jobs free for all the benefits they get? I mean, I believe they're really technically permitted to engage in insider trading on stocks, knowing how some vote's going to come down. They can still buy the stock. I feel like their position of power is worth so much because they spend so much to get it. They spend more on campaigns than they ever actually make. I mean, it's not their money, but don't you think that it's really much worse than that? Oh, absolutely. Right. Okay. But you're just saying it would be nice to, uh, to not just shower them with money for the rest of their lives. That is what is outrageous. They can, they have pensions forever. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's right. And I would also like to see them, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the, uh, the term is that a person has to spend in our armed forces, uh, to receive, uh, a pension. Uh, they need to spend that much time in Congress or, you know, whatever position they're in. I would like to have some connection between being able to start a war and having to fight in the war. I really, it, it really upsets me that these guys are so cavalier about sending our soldiers to foreign countries for, quote, American interests, not even America's defense but that they that they let people die like that without really, it seems to me, without caring at all. Uh, I would like to see them have to step up personally before they're even qualified to cast a vote like that. Absolutely. Love the show, Monica. Thanks so much, Steve. Uh, next up, I want to kind of round out something I found out about the libertarian, uh, the liberty movement. I feel like it's been hijacked a little bit, and I'm going to tell you, what I came up with in my digging. It's kind of interesting. 404 750 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And I uh, had a conversation a little bit earlier in the show with Lori, who called in and said she would consider being a libertarian if she thought there would ever be a libertarian who could win and uh, an election. And I get it. And I actually think that if a libertarian could win, he wouldn't be a libertarian anymore. Not because the people don't want a real libertarian but because the establishment won't stand for it. And I've gotten this sense that there is a, uh, uh, a feeling in the more the libertarians who get the most press or actually have uh, jobs on, in mainstream media that there's something a little funny about the, their approach, the way their opinions on issues. They're either socially liberal or fiscally conservative. And that's really, you know, to plant a stake in one camp or another on an issue-by-issue basis is not really what libertarianism is all about. And I'm, I, I know it's a, it's a trend that I'm noticing when, I, when one quote 
that I, I read the same quote a few times, sometimes a few weeks in a row, because it really captures the feeling that I have um, about what's happening, a new insight. And this, this Harry Brown quote, I'll read one more time. Um, he says, we should never define libertarian positions in terms coined by liberals or conservatives, nor as some variant of their positions. We are not fiscally conservative and socially liberal. We are libertarians who believe in individual liberty and personal responsibility on all issues at all times. And I feel like the libertarians who get the most press do exactly the other thing. They always, they seem to be couching their positions in the framework, in the terms laid out by these safe, cordoned off uh, policy by policy issues instead of coming back and always returning to the holistic, philosophical, political framework that a free society results in the greatest prosperity and peace for the most people. And I think I understand what's happening there. And I'm going to tell you about it in a second. At first, I want to take a call, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to Danny in Atlanta. Danny, you're on with Monica. Hi, Monica. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Fine. I have a, a, a concept of making with personal responsibility. For example, uh, I think Congress, since we now have Obamacare, I think all members of Congress and all government employees should be on Obamacare, not on their own. Oh, yeah. That's such a scam. I think a lot of them don't even pay Social Security because they have pensions, which I'm sure that, will come that's out the next, that's higher the next up. Issue, Monica. Yeah. I think they, since they moved Social Security into the general fund, I think all government retirement benefits should come from Social Security and not from the government's specialized budget for retirement. Right, because that will have a higher order. So you look at Greece, what are they trying to do? They're trying to cut government pensions and whatever. I'm sure they're too high in many, many cases, but the reality is they are levying people's savings accounts. They're cutting people's pensions. You think the government workers' pensions aren't going to get priority over the general Social Security payments? It does now, but uh, the last thing I'll say, and I'll let you go and talk about this, I don't think, I think it's a criminal act for someone to be able to make a career out of Congress. I think we should have term limits on Congress, on both the House and the Senate, and I'm tired of hearing about African Americans, Asian Americans, Latino Americans, uh, female president. I want an American president. Yeah, well, you're playing, talking yeah. about Americanism again. Rather than all these subcultures, I think we'll start straightening out the country. I thank you so much for the call, Danny. I have found um, I read it when we were talking about the Confederate flag. I think it's the last podcast I posted, maybe June twenty seventh. Article, an article I read in a local newspaper that said that uh, it it really framed this issue of the Confederate flag and the foundation of the Confederacy in terms of. Um, with the goal, you should go back and listen to the podcast. It's a long story. But the goal was clearly of this article to alienate black Americans from feeling like America and the principles that it was founded on are worth defending, are worth capturing for us all. And uh, it is a, it was a, a long story, but the idea behind it, I think, behind all these stories is to make People feel like uh, the American principles wouldn't apply to them, that freedom and the rewards of your labor are something that are systemically denied you. So there's no point in having the Bill of Rights because you 
aren't your rights are never really going to be equal to other people's rights. I think that that's an important concept that divides us when we look at bigger issues that we need to unite behind. Uh, but I wanted to real quick before um, before we wrap it up for the day is talk about this libertarian thing that, uh, you know, we can talk about the Confederate flag as an example. Uh, I, I think Rand Paul, I believe it was Rand Paul, said the Confederate flag is racist and it should come down over, they say it was the South Carolina Capitol, but I think it was a Confederate graveyard. But he said it's racist and it should come down, whereas Judge Napolitano, also a libertarian, Fox News guy, used to have his own show, wrote a really good article about how the Confederate, uh, that that for the government on government property to make a statement, a, a statement of speech. So the Confederate flag is not the flag of South Carolina, yet it is flying over government property. Governments don't have a right to free speech. Now, that's the libertarian argument. The libertarian argument isn't just, I'm going to tell you what I think the policy should be. The libertarian argument is, who has the rights? And the government almost never has the rights. The only government right, the only rights the governments have is is the one that we delegate to them, which is self-defense of our person and property. And uh, I noticed this trend among uh, the the most vocal or widely covered libertarians. Another example was the uh, rainbow flag. So when the Supreme Court came out and said that no state can deny gay couples marriage, a lot of of libertarian outlets flew the rainbow flag in celebration. But what they should their their signs should say, get government out of marriage. You know, they should always go back to the fact that you never have to opine on these issues because almost never is it something we all have to agree on because almost never is it something that we should all uh, be able to decide for other people. And that's the fundamental libertarian position. So I noticed particularly the Cato Institute and Reason magazine just always seems to be a little bit off in this regard. And I I couldn't figure it out. And they don't take a strong enough stance against uh, wars, unjustified military action abroad, um, like wrong uh, policies on capturing government for corporate interests. I just, I was just not getting the right vibe from it. And I looked into it and Cato was, um, is supported by the Koch brothers. And so now is reason and the reason foundation that supports reason magazine. And I thought, well, I've always heard the Koch brothers are libertarian and, uh, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they're just libertarian Republicans like Rand Paul calls himself. And I just to confirm that, because I always hesitate to criticize big business or um, rich people, because it's so easy, like the left does, to say you're bad because you're rich or you're bad because you're a business or you're bad because you like free enterprise. And if we have free enterprise, people will starve. We need welfare. You know, I don't believe that. I think in in an atmosphere of free enterprise, almost nobody would starve, possibly nobody, because the prosperity would be so overwhelming that the few people who couldn't participate economically would be taken care of. So I don't like it when the critique is these guys are libertarian, they're cold-hearted, Ayn Rand, fend-for-yourself types. 
that I could actually defend. But what I discovered was um, that not only do these guys support the Reason Foundation and Cato and have a strong influence there, but they they uh, back other institutions that are most definitely not libertarian, such as the American Enterprise Institute, which includes Paul Wolfowitz, who famously has the Wolfowitz Doctrine, which is about uh, how to arrange world power, how to make sure that all world um, big, big countries have a piece of the pie and don't think they can take over leadership from others. Uh, I've talked about that before on the show. That's most certainly not a, a libertarian entity. They promote the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. They they support ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. If you can, uh, if you've ever heard of that, that's an organization that crafts legislation, like the language of it, uh, in the interests of the members, which are often corporate. Uh, so they can influence and and really write our laws in kind of behind the scenes. I mean, like the way George Soros's group supposedly had uh, the greatest hand in crafting the Obamacare legislation. That's what this kind of thing is. And that's not a libertarian concept at all. The Aspen Institute, another Koch-supported um, group, absolutely... Uh, the opposite. That is about um, policy prescriptions on like a global basis. And uh, and the Heritage Foundation, which came up with Obamacare or a template for that type of conservative welfare apparatus in 1989. So I my only thinking here is that even if we think we're getting uh, a pivot towards Liberty, everything from the Tea Party to the Liberty Movement is vulnerable to the very strong power that the establishment has. And government always seems, in my opinion, to pivot towards a uh, the, the existing power because that's what can give those government actors back a little something for the effort, whereas us as a bunch of individual voters really can't do anything for the, for the guys on the top. Going to wrap it up after this. Um, you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show or I love likes on my Facebook page. I don't get anything out of it, but a little <laughs> satisfaction. Know you're listening. And um, you can check out my stuff on my website monica perez shall be right back after the break monica perez on news 95.5 at am 750 wsb low tonight 75 tomorrow the high will be 93 degrees the weekend weather here on wsb is brought to you by shoemate the official air conditioning of summer i am wrapping it up but i was just talking about how liberty in my Belief, observation, conclusion results in the greatest prosperity and peace for the most people. And I recalled my mother was visiting me recently and she rattled off some numbers that blew my mind. I will uh, share a couple with you. She told me that when her, she had nine kids and uh, don't do the math, but she, her oldest, I'm the youngest. And she was telling me about the oldest who was born in 1950. So she was like a baby when he was born and very old when I was born. But um, in 1950, she had her first baby. 
She said it was a breech birth and she was there for five days in the hospital. And the hospital bill in 1950 was $97. That is the bill she got. She didn't have insurance. It was $97. So I did a little math. $97 in 1950 would be worth $965 today. So approximately 10 times. So that's a function of the Fed printing money. They have robbed us of 90% of the value, however you want to look at it. It was 97 actual dollars versus $965 today. But how much would it cost for a similar birth today? Five days in the hospital. Uh, Let's say that's equivalent to like a C-section today, which I don't even think you get five whole days. $50,000. $50,000. Even if it wasn't a C-section, it's like twenty-five dollars to $30,000. So it's so even in real dollars, it's like twenty-five to 50 times more today than in 1950. And since then, we've had all of these socialized uh, medical programs that are supposed to help people uh, access the necessities of life more easily. But, but when you think about it, she spent $97. Let's even say it was today's $970 on five days in the hospital. And that's the way it should work. LASIK, cosmetic surgery, all that stuff brings down the prices of medical care. So that is just a stark example. And she rattled off like every single bill she had for all of her kids, for getting her kidney out. It cost $250 in 1959. She was in the hospital for six days. It's just absolutely crazy that we don't see the value on every level to the people of personal and economic liberty. But I really feel like we were bamboozled on that front. But I do continue this conversation all week long on my website, MonicaPerezShow.com, on Facebook, on Twitter, at Monica Perez Show. I'll be back next Saturday here on WSB from 3 to 6. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.